We're Jill and Jenna, sisters who believe that gut health is the baseline required to live your best life. But health is way more than that. So we've made it our mission to take a deep dive into gut health, mental health, fitness, nutrition, and more. Interviewing experts, having real conversations, all while making sure all of the information is digestible. Welcome Welcome to to our our Gut gut Talk. If you've been following us for a while, you know there's one probiotic that is our tried and true. It is Just Thrive Probiotic. But I want to tell you a little bit more about this probiotic. So first of all, did you know that 99.9% of the probiotics on the market die in your naturally harsh stomach acid before they even get to where they're needed? Just Thrive is different by design. So their proprietary strains have been third-party clinically tested and proven to arrive 100% alive in your gut to be able to do all of the great things that they do. They also have a thousand times better survivability versus yogurt, Greek yogurt, and all the leading probiotics. They support your immune health in your digestive system where 70% of it lives, as well as boost energy, improve sleep, promote healthy skin, and much more. We love them, we take them confidently, and we can tell you that we definitely have experienced the benefits. So you too can get some by going to justthrivehealth.com. We have a code GTG for 15% off. That is justthrivehealth.com and use our code GTG 15% off. And you know we link everything in our show notes. Welcome back to God Talk. Hello, Jilly. Hey, Jen, welcome to my episode. Yeah, that's not a false statement. When I tell you that this was such a fun episode for me, I have talked so much about how I have a deviated septum, got hit in the face with a med ball, can't breathe through my nose, I can't mouth tape, all the things. And so we have Perrin White on today, and she is the perfect person to talk to me about all of this and, of course, all of you because... She is a certified and licensed speech-language pathologist. It's a very hard thing to say for what it is. You know what I mean? And has so much training in the treatment of orofacial myofunctional disorders. So think what Jill's talking about, what she just mentioned, but also is an expert in breathwork, meditation, mindful movement, etc. I think one common misconception is that we were all born breathing right. And that's not accurate. There's a lot of things you can do if you do have trouble breathing through your nose, if you can't breathe through your nose while you sleep. Parents says that breathing is the foundation for better health. And we learned that through this episode. We're talking better for your nervous system, for your digestion. We go into that. Well, we talked a lot about things that are really popular right now. Mouth taping is huge. Huge. So is Botox in your- Masseter Botox. Masseter Botox. We, We dive into that and and she gives her thoughts there. But I think that if you struggle in yoga or you don't know how to meditate, a lot of it can be from the fact that maybe you're not getting good breath in and that affects how much you really are motivated to work on your breath work. I mean, if I'm if I'm struggling to breathe or I can't take a good deep breath, the last thing I want to do is focus on it for 10 minutes in a silent room. Yeah, so she gives us all the tips, tricks, tools to start 
improving our breath. And I'm so pumped up about it because one, as Jill said, it really helped her, but I was looking for someone to help me with my breath work. And I feel like this is the perfect start. She gives really tangible tips, things that I've been doing every day since she was on the podcast with us. So I think you're really going to enjoy her literally walking you through adjustments you can make. Exactly. So let's just get right into it. Let's welcome Perrin White to Gut Talk. Enjoy. One more thing, if you find this episode helpful or you're enjoying Gut Talk, please send it, share it to whoever you think needs it, as well as rating and reviewing the pod. It helps us out so much. And now let's get into it. When I was looking at all your stuff, I was like, I'm so, my adrenals are so jealous that you're starting about a decade before I, before (laughs) I even like started tapping into this. Because this is the interesting part is, yeah. You'll enter, I call it like the point of entry. You'll enter into your wellness journey, your wellness journey uh, at various stages. For me, it was my deviated septum. For you, it was your digestive issues. And then once you get to like that landing, then you're able to see like, oh, now I have to go to this landing and that landing. And that's essentially you climbing up the mountain. But I mean, it's the food that you eat. It's the way that you eat it. It's the sleep that you get and the way that you breathe. Not to mention the conversations we have with ourselves, whether it's hurting or helping, but it's just a little bit of time when you're ready, when you're you're ready to tackle whatever's hard and what's happening to you. And you're doing it so well, so early. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. One thing that I think of when we are prepping for this episode is breath is not talked about very much. And we'll dive into, you know, our interest in breath. I too have a massive deviated septum. I've actually been to the ENT now. I went for a first time and they weren't sure if a deviated septum repair was going to be enough. So I had to go to a plastic surgeon and go through all of that. I breathe terribly. So I'm going to probably feel like internally very called out, not anything you're saying, but I, I know that it's so important, but I played college softball and every once in a while they'd be like, the importance of breathing is huge for your nervous system. And I basically just called bullshit and was like, don't believe it. Don't get it. They never went into like the why. It was just like, take a deep breath before you go up to the plate. And I'd be like, okay, sure. I never thought about it. And all these years later, I'm like, wow, that probably really would have helped me regulate my nervous system among so many other things. So needless to say, we're super excited to talk to you today because there's just, there's so much to be covered. And breath is, when you think about like the pillars of health, breath gets uh, left out almost always, I think. Three thoughts. One, I hope you feel more seen than caught out. Like Good that's point. Really hoping. Two, I feel like say, saying, I want you to take a deep breath. It's kind of like, just go eat better. You're like, right. Okay. Okay. Sure. What, what does that mean? And then the last thing, as far as like pillars of health, I think of it more as a hierarchy of health. And so there's even like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Think of a pyramid, like executive functioning stress is at the very, very tip. That's the iceberg. We're going all the way down to the bottom, to the ground mm-hmm. floor. And that is breath. That is respiration. That's fit, physiological safety. If you do not have that, you are dead. Like, is that that simple? And just because you're breathing doesn't necessarily ensure you're breathing well. And if you're not breathing well, every single layer that goes on top of it is affected. Sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes it's not. But if you want to address the things at the top of the iceberg, you got to go all the way down to the bottom to find out what's needing support. And that's where breathing comes in. 
it really depending even on what lens you're looking at. So I come at it from speech pathology, myofunctional therapy, yoga, and also breath coaching. And then I sprinkle in a little spirit. I say I'm blending science and spirit to help you breathe and be because your breath is going to be a reflection of your anatomy, your physiology, and your emotional, emotional, (laughs) your emotional well-being. So what's stealing your breath? It could be, man, I had a really hard day in a fight with my mom and I'm just feeling really self-conscious. And so I start to bring myself in from this place of safety or man, my tonsils are huge. My septum is deviated. My tongue is like hanging out low back in my mouth. And frankly, I'm just trying to survive. Like what, or is it slow and deep? Is your tongue up to your palate? Are you breathing through your nose? Do your shoulders feel relaxed? Do you actually feel like you're breathing through the whole depth of your body? Those are the things that I'm looking at. And you start wherever the person is so that they can have small, manageable, achievable steps and have success. Because if you are breathing, you are alive. That also means if you are breathing, we can work on it. You don't have to climb to the very top of the mountain to begin with. You just take one step at a time. Maybe that's your tongue rest posture. Maybe that's the way you speak to yourself. Maybe that's relaxing your shoulders. Maybe that's engaging more with your diaphragm. Maybe it's laughing while you try all these things to help bring some levity to it. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of where we can enter and what's right for you, Jenna, might not be what's right for you, Jill, but you find what you need when you need it so that you can actually breathe better now. Can we start with the tongue posture? What is proper tongue posture? Mm -hmm. Okay. So essentially this is more of the myofunctional hat coming on, but when your tongue Let's just start with correct oral rest posture. Correct oral rest posture is the tip of your tongue behind your two front teeth. It's about where you say na, 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 but just make sure it's not touching your teeth. It's a few millimeters back. And then I want you to slowly get the whole blade up as much as you can. Lips together, jaw unclenched with a few millimeters between your teeth. Breathing in and out of the nose. Shoulders relaxed. Posture straight. That's correct oral rest posture. And the reason that matters. (laughs) All right, let's break out a diagram. Heck yes. Hope you can see this. All right. So I'd like his tongue a little bit higher up, but what you can see is tongue tip is up behind the teeth. Middle is up. Back part of the blade is up. This one is going to help support the structure of your face. So it's Jill. You have the deviated septum, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So this is what happened to me and what probably has happened to you. I know you had, was it a sports injury? You... Yep. Med ball to the face. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> so you might have a sports injury or you might be slightly mouth breathing. And what happens either when this gets impacted or I'd be curious, Jill, if your palate's high too, because if that's the case, there might've been a combo of it. But if the whole tongue does not rest up to the palate, You don't have anything to secure the floor of the nose. So the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. Then not to mention if your mouth is open and your tongue is not sustaining basically the bridge that is your palate, when you inhale, that negative pressure has the possibility of collapsing. And that feels big and scary, but what it really means is things just start to get narrow and small. It's kind of like when you're When you're trying to sip in a smoothie in a really small straw versus a wide straw, that small straw, that pressure goes really fast because there's not enough room. And that's what happens in your mouth. So the second part 
not only if your mouth breathing, your tongue is down low, so not up where we want it, it's really hard to make sure that you grow wide and forward. The second part is when you go asleep, so on your back, this, if it's not resting up, will collapse. That's- and pointing out just for our, our listeners, it's like, it's like at the very back of your throat, there's a little dangly thing to to be as unscientific as dangly possible thing. right what a uvula it kind of okay like, well, it non-science me, people it looks like a punching bag and that's yes. it's right in between your tonsils yes um sorry this is an audio medium i'll work on that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you have the front middle back of your tongue and directly behind your tongue is your throat. That is your earway. That's where your tonsils live. That's where the uvula is. And essentially, when you are on your back, when you are sleeping, if your tongue does not know where to rest during the day, it really won't know where to rest at night. And then you have gravity working against you. So gravity, low muscle tone probably, yeah, lack of awareness with your tongue of where it should be, and it starts to slide back, your mouth will open, which then decreases the airway space even more. This is where you get upper airway resistance. This is where you get sleep apnea, snoring, or even gasping. And then sometimes you'll end up moving around. So if you move off to your side, you'll have a little bit of a better chance from an ergonomic standpoint of having more space and getting your tongue out of your airway. That's what they do when you're starting to have Or if someone has a seizure, they move them onto their side so that they don't swallow or bite or have any interference of their airway with their tongue. You can do the same thing. If you feel like you're not getting deep breath, roll on your side, sleep there. But essentially, I retrain tongues and I make sure the muscles of the mouth are strong. One, to stay up during the day and to stay up at night. And so we can address sleeping, breathing by addressing first daytime breathing and helping to get Carrie over there. I just like, there's so many things flowing in my head. People I know are dad, Jill. I'm like, am I doing this right? Yeah. I want to start with one thing. You say that better breathing is the foundation for better health. Mm-hmm. Will you explain that? Gladly. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, so it goes back again to that hierarchy of health. Essentially, you have a triangle, a pyramid. At the very, very top is you living your best life. But the way you get to the top is you make sure every ground level of your foundation and built upon it has something to stand on, has something sturdy. And this kind of gets into the mind-body-breath connection. So when you need a foundation of health, you need your muscles to be strong, you need good blood flow, you need to be able to eat nutritious foods, you need to be able to get adequate sleep, and that all comes back to your breathing pattern. So we want to go slow and steady as a whole, Of course, like, you know, you need faster movements when maybe you're running a race or you're giving a presentation or, I don't know, like these two cool girls are interviewing you and your heart rate wants to beat up. And you say, no, 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 we're slowing down. So this is the mind-body-breath connection. And I'm going to break this down real simply, hopefully, as digestible as I can. Ha, digestible as I can. (laughs) So your body has the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. The central is your brain and your spinal cord. The peripheral is everything else. Through the peripheral, you have the somatic and the autonomic. The somatic are like your movements. That's the sensory input you're getting from like holding a pen, drinking water, the things that you're actually doing, putting your feet in grass. And then the autonomic are the things 
wink, wink, that are out of your control, those involuntary movements. Now, of the autonomic, you have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. Now, these are the things that are involuntary, so they seem. But the one thing that you do have control is your breath. So if you are breathing quickly or if your body perceives danger, you'll go into sympathetic, which is fight or flight, and also hindering digestion. If you start to feel more safe and you are present and you're breathing slowly, you'll be more into that parasympathetic, which is helping digestion. I like to think parent, parasympathetic. Thank you, mom, for naming me a letter with a P. Um, <laughs> That is essentially the whole woven thing. And your nervous system is this whole electrical system in the body. And that's how you make sure everything runs well. So it's not just like, is the car doing its job? Does the car have all the parts that it needs? How's the oil? What's the quality of the gas? Like, are you making sure everything is still working properly? So the foundation of health is your breathing pattern and your breathing foundation. You got to make sure you're breathing well and you can sustain it and then also being able to use it from a resiliency standpoint of all right when things get hard can i bring my breath back when things get uneasy can i bring my breath back can i start to slow down so that i can be more present and actually enjoy this scenario also when my body starts to remember something that was hard don't let your breath hijack you you have volitional control over these seemingly involuntary movements uh, these involuntary body reactions and the breath is yours. You can't control a lot, but you absolutely can control your breathing pattern. So for everyone listening at home right now where they're like, okay, well, how do I even know if I'm breathing well? How, how, how do you know, right? Like that, if I'm listening to this podcast right now, that would be my question. So am I breathing well or am I not? I mean, for me personally, the answer is very easy. I know mm. <laughs> there's work to be done, but what if people don't know? How do they analyze this? So my two favorite things to do, one uh, is a two-minute water-in-your-mouth test. So I take a really, really small amount, or I instruct someone to take a really, really small amount and put that water in your mouth. And don't worry about where your tongue is. Just hold it in your mouth and nasal breathe for two minutes, and you're going to get some really valuable information there. One, is it easy or hard to breathe in and out of your nose? Two, can you keep the water in your mouth? I mean, it's going to be really hard to nasal breathe if your mouth can't stay closed. So that's looking at the muscles of your mouth. Three, where is the depth of your breath? Do you feel like it just stayed stuck in your throat, maybe some chest, or did we get all the way down to the abdomen with some of that diaphragmatic engagement? And then the last one, which is more of the emotional level to it, does this feel scary at all? If it feels scary, that's the emotional side, which is going to make it really hard to breathe. And that can start to close off your throat if you feel unsafe. The best part is you are in charge. It's you versus you. You could spit that water out. You could let it dribble out of your mouth. You could swallow it. You could say the hell with it. I mean, you get information regardless. So that's going to let you know, is this hard? If that is hard when you are in control, that's a really great starting point to let you know you could use some support. It also might let you know you might need to see an ENT if the nose is completely blocked or you're having a hard time. Then the second way that I really um, like and I utilize a lot, it's called the BOLT score. It's called Body Oxygen Level Test, and that's by Patrick McEwen of Oxygen Advantage. Essentially, it's measuring your CO2 tolerance. So each breath in, you get that beautiful hit of oxygen. Each breath out, you're releasing CO2. 
Now, we need the CO2 in the bloodstream because that's what's actually allowing the hemoglobin to release the oxygen into the bloodstream. So the CO2 is really important. And we're not talking about like CO2 in the atmosphere. We're talking about internal CO2. So for the BOLT score, we're measuring how tolerant are you are to that CO2 or is your body basically like, nope, don't like this, uncomfortable, got to take another breath in. So then you start breathing more rapidly. So you'll take a full breath in, you take a full breath out, you'll seal your lips, pinch your nose, gently hold, and you're going to count in seconds until you need to take your next breath in. And when you do, you release, always coming back to the nose. So that bolt score, if y'all want to try it, we could talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's. Yeah. I love hands-on. Let's make it happen. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) Let's take a few breaths. Everyone, Everyone at home or listening, do it with us. Please. Unless, unless you're driving or can they do it when they're driving? Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't okay, want to be, okay. <laughs> be liable for anything that may Right. Not. Okay. Make all sure right. you're at home. <laughs> yes. Cars in park, uh, all the things. Right. Just take a relaxing breath first. Don't psych yourself out. Relax your shoulders. Relax your jaw. Take a breath in and out of the nose as much as possible. And then do it again. Breathe in slowly. And exhale slowly. And then this time as you breathe in and as you breathe out, at the bottom of that exhale, I want you to gently pause, hold your nose, and just count until you're ready to take a next breath in, releasing, breathing in and out of the nose. Okay, I got to 16. Nice. What'd you get to? It's definitely in the 20s. Sweet. You were counting fast. <laughs> so these okay. are really, really great starting points. Anywhere 5 to 10 is associated with asthmatic breathing. And you start to get to 15, it's a little better, but I really want, I really want you more about 25. 30 to 40 is highly athletic. So 40 is something to reach, like reach for the stars. That's your goal. Really great starting point. Also know that no telling what you did right before this. So every time I have a client, I basically feel like this is the, how are you really? So you might say, fine, fine, good, good. No, you're not. Your body won't lie. Your breath won't lie. And this is something you can practice and work on. But between those two things, those two basically experiments to figure out how is the breathing going, you'll know. You'll know. You'll know if it's hard to breathe through your nose, if your throat starts clogging up or clenching up or closing up, if you have a really low bolt score, those are some very good data points. Also, just from like qualitative data, are your shoulders raising? Do you feel like your shoulders are hunched and rounded? If your mouth breathing, if um you feel like you sigh a lot. I remember I used to work at a place in Italy. All I heard was like such heavy sighs. Like these are all the these are all the signs that your body gives you that should let you know breathing is hard and you can get help. 
either by doing yoga, by getting breathing re-education. Maybe you need more myofunctional therapy if there's teeth grinding, tongue thrusting, um, thumb sucking if you're younger or older. <laughs> uh, any of those things from like the dental side, you might need more help from the myofunctional supports. But get a breath coach. Go get some training with yoga. Go Go just lay in the grass and put your hand on your belly and let your belly rise and fall as you breathe in in and out. You can make this as challenging and as difficult or as easy as you want. It does not have to be this big thing. I know that breath is just important for your overall health, but when you work with clients and they come back and they feel like they've made these major improvements, what are they seeing? How is how is their breath directly affecting them? in ways, if our audience is like, "Mm, this sounds cool, but I don't Uh know yet. Like what are the hard hitters of like, this is the actual results we see? Fabulous question. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where I love blending the myofunctional therapy with the breathing re-education with the mindfulness. So from the mindfulness side, I always ask them what's their stress level between one and 10. And I'll see that gradually change over time. So that's one data point that I can give them. Two, we always measure BOLT score. I measure at the beginning of the session, the end of the session. And then I also keep track of where they are over time. That always increases. And half the time they forget, they forget how bad it was because it's really hard to remember where you were. You just know where you are right now in the immediate. So keeping track of those numbers helps. Also, what I do from a visual side, which is really fun, is I'll actually look at their tongue range of motion ratio. So essentially, how wide can you open your mouth? How wide can you open your mouth with your tongue tip up to that spot? And then how wide can you open your mouth with your whole tongue suctioned up to your palate? That's one data point. Also, that's really visual because you can actually look at the muscles of the tongue changing. And then we also do profile pictures. So as you begin to breathe more efficiently and start activating more of the diaphragm, loosening up the shoulders, elongating the spine, I mean, your body just starts to expand. It's almost like you grow an inch and you get more definition in your face. So talking about like profile underneath the chin, the jawline, if you take your finger and you outline your jaw and then you go back, so basically back to that little soft spot and push up with force, you should feel your tongue elevate. Now, if you can start to strengthen those muscles on their own so that they can elevate more readily, that opens up your airway, that improves your posture. It also cinches that jawline, which honestly, I'm doing all the Mayo I can. All the Mayo, all the facial cupping, all the gua sha to get as much functional support for my body as I can to just give it every chance to do the best it can as I as I get wiser. <laughs> right. That's so funny. I've seen that Kim Kardashian before she goes on the red carpet. Mm-hmm. She does. I think she puts her tongue on the roof of her mouth. Would that be the right thing to do to mm-hmm. show the definition in her jawline? Uh, that's sometimes called mewing. There's a, a dentist. Mewing. Yes. And essentially you're just doing a tongue cave, which is the nerdy, the nerdy uh, terminology would be lingual palatal suction, also known as a tongue cave also sometimes referred to as mewing. Essentially, I bring the functional side to it. So it's not that mewing necessarily is bad. I always am just curious. All right, what's the goal? It's just a technique, but essentially you're suctioning your whole tongue up. And you can practice that by first starting off with some tongue clicks 
and then try to freeze the tip of your tongue to that spot behind your teeth and then lift the blade up and then relax your face. (laughs) So that's your homework. Keep practicing that. That ultimately will be where your tongue should rest when you're not eating, talking, or drinking, but but you'll get there. Mine surely does not. So it should rest at the top of your whole mouth, the whole palate. But if that's too challenging, start with just the tip of your tongue. Okay. That is your anchor. Going off of Jill's question and you sharing what – Jill's sitting here so hard. Like, because I realized that my lips go down like naturally and I'm like, is that because my tongue's weighing down my face? I'm not going to say it's not. What's probably a more accurate answer is it's complicated. Right. The hard part is if your tongue can't do its job independently, it will recruit other muscles. That's why you get TMJD, tempomandibular joint disorder. That's why you get face, like tight facial muscles. That's why you get jaw pain. That's why it's probably hard to swallow or you feel like you chew on one side or maybe you even start noticing you eat softer foods versus more dense foods because your body's like, I'm too tired and my tongue can't do the job of moving my tongue side to side. So you naturally just gravitate towards smoothies or eggs or things that digest and break down really, really quickly. <laughs> I'm just very taste-based. Okay. Uh, so I'm looking that- at Jill. No, I, that, I don't actually, I don't feel like I have a problem chewing. That's no. your that's jaw did hurt the other day. Your jaw did hurt the other day. Well, my jaw hurt because I had a little bit of a hyperfixation of the past few weeks with mango. Dried mango. Dried dried mango and it's just extremely <laughs> chewy. So like I gave myself a mouth workout like no other and that's on me. <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing. These muscles can fatigue quickly, but they can recover quickly. So think of it as like a high intensity, uh, excuse me, high intensity interval workout for your mouth. Mm -hmm. So do a lot of chewing then take a break. Do a lot of chewing then take a break. You're just building up your stamina. So the muscles of your face, the eight muscles of your tongue, they're just like all the other muscles of your body. They need resistance. They need to be exercised. They need to be loved on. And stop feeling like they're so scary. Like, go look at your face. Go look at how your jaw moves when you open and close. Is it shifting to one side? And then my other favorite is if you place your hands on your jaw, just when you open and close, do you feel the tempomandibular joint, that ball popping out of the socket? You might mine hear does, it. Mine does every single time on the right side. <laughs> Girl, you need me. Well, Jill's, Jill's booking the appointment literally right after okay. this. I got tackled. I got tackled in college. Tackled and med ball to the face. Yeah, two separate things. And no, I got tackled in college and I swore after that it messed up my jaw. But I went to the dentist and I was like, it pops every time I first go to open it. And they were like, no, everything's fine. And I'm like, well, I know for sure it's not, but clearly I guess it's not bad enough to have an issue. But talk to me, what does that mean if it's popping? Two things. One, let's go over what that means. And second, I'll tell you my thoughts on your doctor. Okay. (laughs) The first thing, it could be a variety of dysfunctional issues, but the umbrella is TMJD, tempomandibular joint dysfunction. And basically it's talking about the TMJ itself, the tempomandibular joint. So attached to this joint, there are direct and indirect relationships to the tongue. Some of it's through uh, fascia. Some of it's through muscle. That could also be related to the masseter itself. It also could be related to the shape of your jaw. So use your jaw for chewing, for 
speaking and then for all other things like facial expressions. And if you're using muscles incorrectly or compensation, say the tongue can't elevate, so you utilize more of your jaw muscles, they'll become an imbalance. And when there's an imbalance, that's where it can pull things. And if it's pulling things or pushing things, and what I'm talking about things is muscle, is fascia. So when we use it for active movement, if we don't have functional patterns, that's when you can get dysfunction, which which results in the jaw, the actual joint popping out of the socket. So when you see those things, that's what lets me know we need to look at the tongue. We need to look at the position of the actual jaw during our bite. Do we need to go get some rehabilitation? Do we need some intraoral massage? Do we need some myofunctional therapy? It could be one, it could be two, it could be all three. The third, well, the other big point is your doctor. Not all doctors are created the same not all professionals are created the same. And I can tell you, I was a speech pathologist for over eight years before I ever even recognized I had dysfunction. So I was learning about my functional therapy and tongue ties and nasal breathing. And I frankly just thought it was all bullshit because I couldn't do it. But when you are in dysfunction, it is hard to see that you are in dysfunction. And sure. That's- because it would be so it would be so devastating if I knew my body wasn't working correctly and I didn't know what to do. And right. It's a, really, it's a very uh scary hard feeling of of not knowing how you're going to get to the other side. So, as I started to learn about these things and I at some point you have to take a little bit of a leap of faith, but also you find the right people to guide you. And essentially I relate um finding the right provider to dating. So, as a single female, I've been on a lot of dates, a lot of them bad, but you learn that if it's not right, if it doesn't feel good, if you don't feel heard, seen, and cared for, next. Now, when you're talking about medical providers, it can be really hard and challenging because it takes time. It takes money. Is there insurance? Is there anyone in my area? You have to do some research. So this is where having a podcast to listen to about gut health is really helpful. Having a friend that can tell you about Adderall addiction, really helpful. Having people and resources and community that you can ask questions to where you feel safe, really helpful looking for referral sources. And then you get to ask better questions. What I can say now is find a dentist that is airway-centric. All that really means, or functional or a biological dentist, we're just trying to get back to the root cause. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Just because they don't know what to do with it doesn't mean there isn't anything you can do. So you get to use that gut instinct. If you're like, listen, my jaw hurts. It is not working. And your doctor says it's fine. We can't do anything. It means they don't know what to do. So you have to, excuse me, you get to keep looking and finding better solutions. And the same, I'm sure, goes with your digestive journey. I mean, you try this thing and you try that thing. and Maybe something kind of works and then something really clicks and you just let go of those things that don't work and you keep moving one step at a time towards the things that do with the people that are actually helping you and listening to you and helping you feel seen. (laughs) Too much. (laughs) No, I think it's amazing. I love that. The one thing that jumped out to me was I've seen a lot of people, especially on social media, brag might not be the right word, but brag about getting masseter botox would love your thoughts on that because they're all saying i have tmj i got masseter botox not only did it change my jaw and my clenching and everything but it also changed my jawline and the way i look what are your thoughts on getting botox 
It doesn't seem to be the root cause approach. It's not the root cause approach, but I'm also not here to say it. it's right or bad. Like you mm-hmm. have to decide what's the right treatment option for you. If you are just wanting a quick fix and you're not interested or you're not ready to go there yet, maybe that's an option. Mm-hmm. If you want to know why your masseter or your TMJ is dysfunctional, not the right option. It also would ask, are you interested in getting Botox in your face for wrinkles? And if you're like, hell yeah, then you probably are going to want Botox for your TMJ. But if you are not interested in freezing your face so you don't have facial expressions, so you're not able to like fully express yourself and move your face and support the muscles from the inside out, then you probably don't want that approach either. But what Botox is, is a big old Band-Aid. So it's going to freeze that muscle. So if you're only looking for temporary relief and you want to try it, I'm not going to say don't. I mean, I want you to feel better. And maybe that's the bridge you need need to actually calm your nervous system, to actually be able to look for more root causes. But if you're looking and ready for a root cause approach, I would absolutely go find a myofunctional therapist and do a functional evaluation first. Well, I want to jump into mouth taping because I think you you say masseter Botox and the next thing I think is mouth Uh taping because they're both really trendy right now. And I think Lauren Bostick from the Skinny Confidential, she's posted about it a ton. I think she's influenced a lot of people to start mouth taping. And she talks about getting better sleep when she mouth tapes. She talks about having more energy. And she also obviously talks about like an improved jawline. Would you agree that all of these things are improved with mouth taping? And what else is out there as far as benefits go? I'm so glad you asked. And I'm going to say, oh, maybe. So essentially, I love mouth taping as lip training. So I want you to be a nasal breather. And if your mouth is open, especially you're asleep and you're unconscious and you're back, your body's going to take the path of least resistance to keep you alive. And if your mouth is open, that's mouth. You get a lot more volume. It doesn't mean it's quality, but you get a lot more volume with a lot less effort. Now, the important part about mouth taping is you've got to make sure your tongue can rest up in your palate so that when you go down on your back, the tongue doesn't collapse into your airway. The second part is I want to make sure your nose works. So if you know you have a deviated septum, wink, wink, um, mm-hmm. mouth taping is going to be really hard. I will mm-hmm. say the two brands that I use the most and actually have them here, it's Myotape and VO2, VO2 Tape. They both are essentially Kinesio Tape. And I like them because they place on your mouth at different places. They adhere to your mouth in different places. The VO2 tape, you can do an I or an H. And then the myotape itself just goes all the way around. And they're both stretchy. They both are pretty gentle on the skin. But I also like is you're still going to be able to breathe. You're going to be able to open your mouth with the um, the myotape so you can take a sip of water. If you need to like take a take a breath in, you can. Also, it's not going to prevent you. And then the VO2 tape, you can just move it in different places, but you still have the side of your mouth. And then also you're going to rip it off. Like if your body can't tolerate it, you're just going to figure out, oh my gosh, I put this on every night and it's in a ball on the like other side of the room. That's me. That's what happened to me. I literally was doing that and I woke up in the morning. It was like plastered to part of my sheets. You're just going to waste a lot of money, but I would be 
learn with making sure the nose works and the tongue knows where to rest. And then practice during the day sitting up, then practice during the day laying down, then practice during a nap, then start using it at night. Okay. Yeah. No, I have a massive fear. I would not, I'm not trying it until I do get my nose Mm -hmm. fixed because I do know um, the doctors told me, in fact, that that is not really possible right now. But I'm glad that you said to start doing it basically conscious, then a nap, and then going to sleep because I, I haven't heard anyone talk about that. And my first thought when I hear about mouth taping is, is like, uh, I don't want to choke in my sleep. What if my body can't handle it? So you're saying like kind of gradually test it out. Baby steps for everything. I mean, did you do a complete 180 on your entire diet like right away? Right. No. Right. No. Yeah. No. And this is absolutely like the speech therapist in me. I was like, what is the next attainable step? And then mm-hmm. how do you slowly increase the level of difficulty so that you're getting closer and closer to a functional pattern. And the functional pattern is nasal breathing with your lips closed. So think of mouth taping as lip training. Start during the day, gradually increase uh, the length, the posture, the difficulty of it, then transition to night and know that your nose and tongue have to be in the right place and working for it to be effective. I don't think we've actually mentioned it yet, but why is nasal breathing optimal? Ooh, no, we have it. And right, <laughs> we talk so much about it. Everyone's like, okay, so what's to the, go there? What's the point? <laughs> well, from a very like duh moment, just take one breath in through your nose with your lips closed. And now take a big old mouth breath. All right, one, you look more confident, you look more composed, you look rested with your lips closed, and you look tired, you look fatigued, you look exhausted with your mouth open. So that's from an aesthetic standpoint. Also from the aesthetic standpoint, remember how we talked about the tongue up to support the roof of the mouth, which is the floor of your nose, lips closed. That is going to make sure the function, excuse me, the structure of your face maintains. So what we're trying to do is maintain a strong dentofacial structure. And then from the science, so when you breathe in through your nose, you're getting humidification, you're also getting um, purification, and then you're also getting nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is really good stuff that your body creates on its own. You only get that through your nose, not through your mouth. The mouth, if you are mouth breathing, that's how you can get inflamed or enlarged tonsils because essentially this is big. This is keeping everything clean, neat, the right like balance of, of chemicals. This is just taking everything out in the atmosphere, dropping it right into your lungs. And then there's one other reason. Like, so as we get into these colder uh, temperatures, essentially when you breathe in through your nose, it starts to warm and moisten the air. If you do it through your mouth, you're basically just shocking your lungs with the cold air. And we want things also to go slowly. So if you want to fill up your lungs to the depth of your lungs, you need nose so that it goes more slowly and gets all the way filled to the bottom. If you're just trying to upper chest breathe and you're not wanting to do it fully efficiently, breathe in through your mouth. So you'll get a quicker hit through your mouth, but you get a more complete full inhalation through the nose. And then additionally, talking about quick and slow. Another reason you want slow is because that's what helps to activate the vagus nerve as well as the parasympathetic. Fast, 
fast breathing, fast upper chest breathing, mouth breathing is more closely associated with the sympathetic nervous system. So tongue up, lips closed, breathe through your nose. One, because you want the CO2, excuse me, you want the nitric oxide. You want to clean the air, humidify the air, warm the air. You want it slow so you get the depths of your lungs. You also want to look more in control. You want to feel more rested. Um, and then also from the nervous system standpoint, when you breathe in slow and through your nose, that's more uh, activating parasympathetic over sympathetic nervous systems. Explain real quick to our audience what activating the parasympathetic can do to the other aspects of your life, yeah. i.e. digestion, stress, etc. Yeah. So the two parts, the two parasympathetic and sympathetic, which if we're going down that whole list of things starts from the peripheral nervous system down to the autonomic, from the autonomic to the sympathetic and parasympathetic. So the autonomic is basically taking all these involuntary bodily actions. So your heart rate, your digestion, the dilation of your pupils and your respiration rate. Now, essentially like the hack to get into that is the respiration rate because you can't really control digestion. Once that train starts, it is uh, just going to do what it does. And pupil dilation, I don't know about y'all. I can't control that, but I absolutely can control my respiration rate. So when you start to feel in fight or flight, that is your sympathetic nervous system. That is also going to make it really hard to digest your food because your body is going to divert the blood to the muscles. We have to be quick. We have to be fast. We are not resting. We are not digesting. That is not happening. So if you're always mouth breathing, always in a state of anxiety, also, if you're not stopping to take a moment to pause, good luck digesting anything. Now, um, conversely, moving over to that parasympathetic, that is your rest and digest, that is making sure that your heart rate is starting to slow down, and you can access that by slowing down your respiration rate, breathing through your nose, using your abdomen, expanding your ribs. That's what's going to help you start making sure you have better blood flow and increase digestion success. And then the other part about digestion, which I um, I wanted to make sure that we talked on. So going back up to the tongue and actually chewing your food. So also really great job, Jill. I listened on to another podcast and you said you have to chew your food 20 times. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. So, That's because I never do. So I yeah. just, I like to just remind myself. I make her. Yeah. I mean, make it till you make it. All right, the- right. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to tell you why you do that. So you need to digest your food, and that starts in the mouth. The second part of that is how are you swallowing? So if your tongue is having a hard time elevating up to your palate, you probably are going to have a tongue thrust swallow, which means your tongue pushes against your teeth, pushing forward and back to swallow versus up and back, which is a correct swallow pattern. And that is the start of peristalsis, which is the wave-like motion that pulls the contents all the way from the mouth down to the stomach. And if you jack up that peristalsis, if you mess up or have a hard time getting it moving functionally, that's where you get GERD. That's where you get reflux. You might hiccup. You might burp because you probably are swallowing more air and you more than likely didn't fully chew your food. So your body has a hard harder time absorbing it. So y'all do such a great job and are working so intentionally on the quality of the food. I want to make sure we're not missing the way the food is then handled in your body so that it can be received and utilized properly. Not to make this entire podcast about me. (laughs) You are. 
doing it. This is um, but, yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Sorry, Jenna. You can have the next one. Uh, I I mean, I, I truly, growing up, I really did have so many respiratory issues. Mm-hmm. I 100% think I had a deviated septum before I took the med ball to the face. I just think that that exacerbated it. But I had chronic strep throat, and yeah. I'm sure there are people listening that also did. Yeah. I ended up having my tonsils removed when I was 22. But okay. at that point in time, when I would get strep throat or tonsillitis or whatever, I was getting it almost every month, and my tonsils would literally touch. They were so inflamed. I like to brag and tell everyone that doesn't even ask that the last time I was in the hospital, they took pictures for the medical books because they had not seen tonsils so big and tonsil stones, all the things. For those of us who, whether you have them out or not, if you had really bad strep throat as a kid, how does that affect everything? I will say, I'm so glad you survived. I'm so glad you're still here. I also had chronic strep throat and had my tonsils taken out at age 34. Um, Oh my gosh. Deviated septum fixed. So a septoplasty, turbinate reduction, and then um, the tonsillectomy. So what I would say is these are just signs. Your body is talking to you all the time, all the time through how well you digest food. How do you feel? What's your quality of sleep? What muscles are hurting? What is your body doing? What looks inflamed? What is screaming at the top of its lungs? Help. (laughs) Pay attention. And Mm -hmm. that's a really big one that just lets you know your mouth breathing. And if your mouth breathing, you got to figure out why. Probably probably your tongue, maybe your diaphragm, maybe the structure of your face. It could be a lot of things, but it's it's an opportunity to get more support. Go see an ENT, go to get a myofunctional evaluation. Come talk to me. I love chatting about airway and how we can get you feeling and breathing better because we always can. There's always something you can do. The tonsillectomy was easily the worst 14 days of my life. Like as an adult, getting a tonsillectomy is... There's no other way to describe it except for like living hell. Um, did you, did you, yeah, yeah, it's just horrible. Uh, did you feel like it was difficult getting the deviated septum reversed or fixed? Uh, so, like you said, tonsillectomy was such hell. I didn't care what was happening in my nose. Sharp. Wow. Yeah, if you can do a tonsillectomy, you can conquer the world. Yeah. Yes, I do believe that. Jill's pain tolerance is exceptional. Yeah. Well, I don't take I don't take opioids either. Um, they really don't react with my body very well, and that is the one time where I was like, "Give me." everything. I was seeing birds fly above my head. It's like they make me hallucinate really badly, but I would rather like see birds flying around my head than yeah. have to deal with that. It was, it was brutal. So um, brutal. Get the septoplasty. Your body will absolutely, absolutely thank you. And then come find okay. me. <laughs> we'll yeah. No, I'm going to do that. And then yeah, we're going to work together. You can do anything. You've done a tonsillectomy. You can do anything. And then (laughs) just about the tonsillectomy, that is part of the lymphatic system. So I really love recommending lymphatic massage, lymphatic drainage, other supports, like as you're getting your body back back to that functional level. But um, Oh, that's helpful. 
I would have never, no one ever said to to work on your lymphatic system while repairing your tonsils. Oh my gosh. Yes. And essentially the lymphatic system is the flow all throughout the body. So the breath is the thing you can actually do. The lymphatics is actually moving along with the fascia, which is connecting everything. There's so many layers and there's always something you can do. Sometimes it's too much to think about all of it. So you just do one at a time and then you do more when you're able. The septoplasty that's fixing the deviated septum. Someone responded in our DMs when I was talking about looking into it. And she said, I'm really interested to see how it helps you because I had a septoplasty and it didn't help. What happens if you have a deviated septum, you get it fixed and it doesn't help? Is there something you should look to next or what what does that mean? What I would say or what I'd be more curious about is like, do you know how to use your nose? So essentially Mm. it might be misuse. I got my septoplasty fixed at 34, which means I had almost three and a half decades of not using it correctly. Sometimes it gets back on track really quickly. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't mean you can't. I would be more concerned or more interested in like, all right, let's actually start to build up your tolerance of CO2. Let's start to increase your respiratory muscles of your diaphragm. I also would be curious about her tongue. I mean, mostly it just gives me more questions. But what I love is she knows that the structure, the structure is sound. Now Mm -hmm. let's make sure the function is there. So you need both. You need function and you need structure. And Sometimes it just takes a little bit more finessing and support on the function side and the pattern side and getting basically that cruise control where you don't have to think about it supported so that you can get there. Jill and I are at very different places. I don't have a deviated septum. I can breathe through my nose. I do struggle a little bit to not mouth breathe when I'm sleeping 100%, so I know I need work there. Mm -hmm. Someone like myself, some work to do, room to grow. But how does someone like myself start to develop a practice and become more mindful when it comes to nasal breathing and tongue posture? I love James Clear's Atomic Habits. The one thing that I really got from that book that I was like, oh my God, this applies. And I can't remember. I call it habit stacking. It might be something else. Um, So take something you're doing every single day feeding your dog, brushing your teeth, washing your hands, getting into the car. Take something that's already established and then pair it with spot checks. Is your tongue okay. touched? Are you using your nose? Are your lips closed? Can you soften your face? Can you use more of your belly to breathe in and to breathe out? And then just start being aware. I mean, the more you are aware and the more that you start to integrate that into different parts of your life in different settings at different times, that's when you have gold. Like the habit itself is not necessarily hard. It's the implementation and the carryover into different settings. So take something you're already good at that you already do. Maybe you set alarms on your phone. Maybe you tell your sister to check in with you and vice versa and keep each other accountable. Make it make it more fun and then do it frequently and do it often. If you can laugh and have a good time while you're doing it, you're going to get it that much quicker. And so find something that you can do easily and successfully start there. Then when you're ready, you start building in more of a breathing practice. And of course you can follow me at breathe well, be well. I'm your, I love talking about this stuff. It brings me so much and believe that you can, because as soon as say, as soon as you say you can't, you can't, and you won't. But as soon as you start thinking I can, you will. Yeah, I love that, and I will surely do that. 
absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you all. I hope we get to chat and breathe with each other again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.